Well, good afternoon and welcome to today's edition of Real People OC. It is October 2017 and we're revisiting a topic that we did a four-part series on a couple years ago when we worked with Human Options and Nora Caldwell to put together a, a pretty extensive series on domestic violence. Now, October, among other things, beer and happiness and all things fall, is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we're going to have a discussion with one of our faculty here at UCI. But before we went into the discussion in the interview that I recorded earlier this week, I wanted to talk briefly with you about what domestic violence is. We don't go into any in-depth discussion about domestic, uh, well, actually what some of the things are that we're considering domestic violence. So in advance of this interview, I wanted to do just a brief discussion on that. So domestic violence can involve anybody in the home. Uh, it could involve physical or sexual violence. Uh, some of the techniques used are intimidation, emotional abuse, which is oftentimes one that's really difficult to, um, I don't know, to, to elucidate because people think, well, you know, we're just not getting along. But really it's putting somebody down, making them feel bad about themselves, name calling, making them feel crazy, playing mind games or humiliating, you know, just the general guilt trip, but to a, an exacerbative state that, you know, your your emotional well-being is suffering in the environment. Other ways to do this would be using isolation, controlling what people do, who they talk to, what they read, what they see, limiting their outside involvement, sometimes extreme jealousy um, is, is one way that somebody imposes isolation on a loved one in the home. Um, another technique for this type of power and control that we're seeing is coercion and threats, making them feel guilty about stuff they're doing with their kids or, I don't know, um, just ways of harassing people and using the children to do that with. Uh, minimizing, denying, and blaming, making light of abuse, making light of behavior that's causing stress in the family, and not taking somebody else's concerns seriously. Uh, denying that the abuse has ever happened. Uh, shifting the responsibility for the abusive behavior on to the other person, saying that they're the ones that have actually caused it. And, you know, making you think you're crazy, I would imagine, is what, what this general one means. Um, using male privilege, you know, we're not going to center our discussion on the male as the abuser, but in many cases, that is what 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 is the situation. So it's important to um, to have you know a reasonable discussion about this. Um, threatening threatening the woman in the home, treating her like a servant, making all the big decisions, kind of like the master of the castle, uh, being the one you know that defines the roles, the male female roles. <coughs> Economic abuse is another one, uh, preventing her from getting or keeping a job, making um, her ask for money, giving her an allowance, taking her money, not letting her know about or have access to the family income. Uh, let's see, intimidation, making them afraid to by using gestures, looks, smashing things, destroying property, abusing pets, displaying weapons, things like that. So there's a lot of things. Oh, I guess I forgot some of the physical abuse, which is the more obvious is um you know, hitting or any kind of physical contact that's unwanted would be something that would would constitute physical abuse. So since we don't have an in-depth discussion in the interview, I didn't want to complicate the complicate the issue by pausing and asking for that because uh, Professor Stover really gives some really good insights as to what we're doing that are on the positive level here at UCI. 
So to introduce today's guest, Professor Jane Stover with UCI Law Department has extensive teaching experience in domestic violence clinics and engaging in scholarship in the areas of domestic violence law, family law, clinical law theory. And as the director of the UCI Law Domestic Violence Clinic, she supervises law students representing abuse survivors in civil, criminal, and immigration interventions in abuse. She is also the director of the UCI Initiative to End Family Violence, which is one of the things we're going to center our conversation about uh, today, which is really interesting to me. And um, this initiative seeks to unite faculty from all over 20 different departments at UCI with with also with community partners in research, education, and clinical care endeavors. Professor Stover co-chairs the Orange County Domestic Violence Death Row Review Team and previously taught at Georgetown University Law Center, American University, Washington College of Law, Seattle University School of Law, and she received her JD from Harvard Law School and her LLM from Georgetown University Law Center. So I hope you enjoy today's interview. And it was really great to have her back in the studio. So it was it was fun to get an update on her career and to see all the things that she's done since she was here about two or three years ago. And if you're interested in that four-part series, which was pretty extensive, we covered the issue of domestic violence to show all of the community resources that we have here and how many of those organizations liaise with one another to help be that safety net for an individual who wants to pull themselves out of a domestic violence situation. Not an easy thing to do. Uh, lots of bravery goes into making that decision. But once somebody does make that decision, boy, it's really nice to know how many services are, are in place. And that particular four-part series really digs deeply in what those service services are to help people. Now, the most important thing that we discuss in this interview today, and I wanted to share it at the top of the interview, was that um, Professor Stover reminded me that there was the 211 number that can be called for anybody who's seeking information for how to get out of an abusive situation. I don't know why this is not more widely known. I want to do something about it here at the station to bring about more awareness to the 211. But much like 411 and 911, uh, 211 is a place you can call to immediately get resources if you are in a situation and you need to find immediate help or a place to go for safety. So enjoy today's interview. Yes, I'm coughing a little bit. I was really close to the fire zones and near the evacuation orders. So uh, forgive me for sounding like I'm gagging over here. (laughs) In any case, I'm hoping everybody is safe and well now and their lungs are healing from all the smoke damage. But enjoy today's interview and I'll look forward to checking back in with you at the end of the interview. Well, so welcome, Professor Jane Stover. I'm so glad to have you back in the studio. This is not your first time here uh, visiting for Domestic Violence Month, Awareness Month, right? Tell me about that. Right. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me back. And I'm thrilled to to be back here with you. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And this is an issue that really remains such a prevalent, life-threatening issue in our society, where we know that one in three teenage girls experiences physical abuse in a teen dating relationship, one in four women experience domestic violence, one in five women on a college campus will be sexually assaulted. And that the rates of domestic violence, really we live in a world where the most dangerous place for a woman is in her own home. And the rates of domestic abuse are higher than the combined numbers of automobile accidents, stranger rapes, and muggings. I mean, those statistics are staggering. I I still find, whenever I hear these statistics, how are we as a society finding any of this acceptable? And how how can't we tackle? I mean, I just, 
why can't we wrap our arms around this and figure it out? What is the issue? Yeah, and so I think that so much of it, we, we really want to focus on issues of prevention, exactly as you're saying. Why is this still happening at these same rates? And so what could we be doing differently? Because we've been talking about this not for so long, actually. It wasn't until 1992 that each state even had a law against domestic violence. 1992? That's right. That's right. It's all been very recent. Um, but even as we have been grappling with these issues and talking about it more and more in the public discourse, I think we need to work and continue our work on prevention, to think about early education efforts, healthy relationship norms, and a lot of times breaking the silence about issues of family violence. And so this is a lot of the work that I've been involved with in terms of the legal representation through our domestic violence law clinic, and then the creation of the UCI initiative to end family violence. Where this is something that, that really grew out of conversations that I had with child abuse pediatricians here at UCI, with our medical faculty here who are OBGYNs and our, our elder abuse specialists. Because we were seeing patients and clients after there'd been really lengthy histories of abuse. And we thought, mm. okay, we've got medical and legal responses, social work psychology. What can we be doing differently earlier on? So there were several of us that reached out across campus to the different departments and we now have this UCI initiative to end family violence that has faculty from 21 different departments at the school working on family violence across the lifespan. Impressive, impressive. So the initiative, se the initiative uh, seeks to do what? Yeah, so we're working on a, a lot of community education and education in terms of our undergraduate and graduate and professional schools curriculum. Um, interdisciplinary research, really looking to create some innovative and groundbreaking research on family violence. And so we have biomedical engineers and computer information specialists teaming with child abuse pediatricians to make computerized models of children's brain and to look at the various causes of impact in terms of traumatic brain impact, for example. And so doing really unique and important research in these different areas. Um, and as I mentioned, family violence, we're also looking at this topic across the lifespan. So traditionally, we've, we've siloed different issues of family violence, only looking at child abuse or teen dating violence or elder abuse, but not looking at the intergenerational impacts of abuse, which we know is one of the causes that keeps perpetrating it throughout our society in terms of going from one generation to the next and how interconnected they are too where usually when you see instances of adult intimate partner violence, typically that's also accompanied by child abuse. Okay, so what do we know now that we didn't know then? What is some of the research bearing out for us? Yeah, so I think that we're realizing how much earlier we need the interventions. Mm, and so the point. World Health Organization is saying as young as age 11, we need to start educating our youth about healthy relationships. And we need to be aware of and combating chauvinistic kind of peer attitudes and so having much more equal gender roles and norms as a society is is one thing that makes a tremendous difference and that we should be you know th th in terms of what we express and teach our youth from an early age okay that's one area I think also a lot of the different social interventions and so I can get great court orders from my clients but they also need safe housing, they need therapeutic interventions. And so when we look um, as a society at what more we need 
Um, I'll mention we have an economic justice conference coming up on November 14th that the Initiative to End Family Violence is hosting. And so looking at all of the kind of social supports and economic supports that we need for those early interventions in family violence. And we're seeing that a lot of abuse survivors are able to leave abusive relationships and end the abuse much earlier when they have access to therapeutic support. Um, whether that's the one-on-one -on -one therapy for themselves and their children, support groups, longer-term housing options, transitional housing options, job readiness. So these kinds of things as a society are all really important for us to be providing in addition to legal protections and immediate medical care. Okay. Are you working with other universities on this? Are you collaborating? How does, how does collaborations um, on this topic help you develop what you're doing here at UCI? Yeah, so the Initiative to End Family Violence here at UCI is really um, something that, that we started throughout this campus in terms of finding collaborators here on campus and from the outset with different community partners. And I would say we're also collaborating with a lot of our other colleges and campuses within this region, and it's, on, it's a way in which we would like to grow to expand further. Okay. Um, so are we getting closer at... In those early interventions, you talked about these unique approaches. Are you getting closer to understanding where you where you really need to spend your time in that um, intervention? What's what's that first step? I think the very first step um, I would recommend to be engaging in some some deep and one on one safety planning. Oh, for that's people, good. yeah, for people to really be able to consider what options are available to them, what other safety resources would they need and to develop an individualized safety plan before progressing into, into a, a legal action, for example. So what you're saying is if we could take this to the story of an individual family, let's say somebody's identified that there is maybe the potential for violence or aggression is, is, is present in the home, whether it be with one member of the family or the other, how we come up with a safety plan for the family or how they develop it within their own family. Like they, they, they talk to their kids. Let's say it's a, a let's say for example, it's a, a mother that's sharing with her children, look, we have a situation here. We need to figure out how to deal with this. That's where the safety planning starts or the safety planning starts with her interaction with the community. Give me an example. Yeah, you know, it can happen in a lot of different ways and depending on the individual, different things might be right for that person. Um, with, with our law clinic here at UCI, we routinely collaborate with the four local domestic violence agencies in our county. Let's name those if we and could. Yes, and so Human Options, Laura's House, WTLC, which, which stands for Women's Transitional Living Center, and Interval House. And all of these agencies provide services regardless of gender and uh, really non-discriminatorily. Okay. And um, so whether you're an abused husband or an abused wife or mm -hmm. an abused son or daughter, let's yes, these yes. are the places. Is there one number to call in Orange County? You can call 211 and that's the one number that you can be connected to a lot of different social services throughout Orange County. Fascinating. I don't think I knew about that. 211 yeah. everybody just but like 911 but easy exactly. to remember. Exactly. It's so key for mental health interventions and homelessness, substance abuse, so many different issues that people might be facing to be able to have this one number that they can remember and call and get access in a multitude of different areas. I can't believe I didn't know about that number. I'm glad we brought this, this is up. Great. Yeah, this yeah. is great. Yes. Yeah. So 211 for 
even if you see a suspicious neighbor and you're concerned about their mental state, is that a 211? You just said mental health? Yeah, so being able to do a, a well check on someone might might be a situation. Right, not something you'd call the police for, but mm-hmm. something where you have a hunch or you see somebody is, you know, maybe freaking out. <laughs> well, and being able to access social services in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that we've developed over the last few years, the initiative to end family violence has actually been working with 211 and the Orange County Women's Health Project and the different agencies that I mentioned with Human Options, Laura's House, WTLC, Interval House, to be able to enhance our community's response to domestic violence. And so now by calling 211, someone is also able to know what shelters would be able to have space be immediately available to them. And so depending on the number of children they might have and other kinds of, of factors, to be able to know that they can get that immediate crisis intervention and, and safe confidential housing is often a first step for people. Okay. Okay, good. All right, so we have the initiative that you've worked very hard to develop. Is there anything more you want to tell us about that? I would love to describe a little bit about some of our upcoming programming. And also I can tell you about some of the research um, and curricular developments. But one thing that we really want to highlight for the community is our first, um, first program in October. It's going to be October 19th called Running for Her Life. And I mentioned this is a program that we're featuring for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it features two extraordinary women sharing their stories. So one is Catherine Switzer, whose name you might recognize because she ran the Boston Marathon 50 years ago, back in 1976, when it was an all-male race. And so she ran it, defying the officials who were trying to pull her, literally, from the racing path. She'd registered for it only under her initials of K.D. Switzer, and was there running it with, with her coach, trying with them trying to pull her off the running path. She actually completed the marathon successfully, and she recently ran it again um, for that 50th anniversary. Impressive. So, so it is really remarkable how you know, a story of breaking barriers and, and the gender barriers that women have faced over the years and how she really changed the face of sports for women and now has this fearless 261 campaign encouraging other women to become empowered through running and to take on challenges and have this fearless attitude. I love it. <laughs> so we are, we are thrilled to be able to welcome her here. Many people in the community have contacted me saying, Catherine is my hero. Can I really come and meet her? Yes. Oh, <laughs> very so we'll exciting. we'll have time for book signing with her. She's written multiple books. We'll have her book, Marathon Woman featured there for her to do the book signing and um, and photographs. And then our other featured speaker is Elizabeth Gray. And she is an abuse survivor who we're featuring as part of our survivor series. And the Initiative to End Family Violence does the survivor series to really help break the silence and shame and blame surrounding family violence, where so often these issues aren't spoken about publicly. And Elizabeth has a remarkable and inspiring story where she experienced years of domestic violence from her husband who told her she couldn't run. And he always prevented her from running. And this was always a dream of hers. And when she was able to escape that abusive relationship and did divorce him, now she has gone on and discovered she could run. And she's gone on to run marathons and is running marathons across the country raising awareness about domestic violence as she does. 
fascinating and I love the theme running for her life that's that's impressive now the goal here so anyone can attend how, how do we want to talk about this for the community to right, embrace right. the event yeah so anyone can attend it's open to the community it's a free event um, it's being held at the UCI Student Center at the Crystal Cove Auditorium so there's a large capacity there and there is parking available, $10 fee on the campus, okay. but that's the only charge involved. Um, and a free event to be able to come and hear and meet Elizabeth and Catherine and have photograph opportunities, book signing, and a reception following the event. So it starts at 3 o'clock on Thursday, October 19th, and we'll start off with Catherine Switzer presenting her story and experience, um, and then Elizabeth Gray and co-moderating it with me is going to be Professor Michelle Goodwin, who directs the UCI Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy. And this event is also being co-sponsored by the UCI Center that Dr. Jim Hicks uh, runs, which is called the UCI Exercise Medicine and Sports Sciences Initiative. So I think this event is going it. to have great interest to people, whether they're interested in gender empowerment and equality broadly or athletics and empowerment through athletics and sports so a lot of different important angles here right right ways to build strength in one's personal life to help them build it in their um well their mental stamina and also to find ways out of a difficult situation exactly and we we, we know now more about exercise and the importance of physical strength don't we absolutely absolutely and this is so important to people's own recovery and something that we're doing a lot more work with our own domestic violence clients with on mindfulness and um, and so there's a lot of great programs just here in Orange County focused on those areas as well very cool now you're asking for people to RSVP at endfamilyviolence.uci.edu is that correct that's right yeah so endfamilyviolence.uci.edu is the website and that'll be tremendously helpful in terms of our numbers um, as we're anticipating capacity there and the reception planning. Okay, good, yeah, so we can be able to receive as many people as wanna join in on that event. Who are you hoping comes to this event? Let's talk a little bit about that. Who are you targeting with this event? Right, so we're really looking uh, at this being of interest to a broad cross-section of our community. And so certainly we're hoping the students come and are inspired by these women's stories. And also that other professionals come and are um, are inspired, and also might might that might further different ideas for research and or treatment with their own patients, and our community to be of interest. I mean, Catherine Switzer's story is of such historic importance. Sure, on really many levels. Yes, 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 exactly. That it's remarkable to be able to host her here at UCI, and to think about the broad impact. Um, just how groundbreaking what she did 50 years ago with being the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon. What an enormous right. step that was and how much of a difference that's made for sports. And many people now also recognize her as an Emmy award-winning television commentator, sports commentator, author. So I think a lot of people know her now and are interested in coming to meet her. And then Elizabeth Gray's story, making this so personal. Mm -hmm. and, and, and how... I mean, she is just a bright spirit and shows how um, how people talk about my clients and individuals as survivors in terms of all that they've overcome and what a shining example she is in terms of having 
been through very difficult situations and adversity and a lot of you know, self-doubt and damage to her self-esteem really being made to think you can't run right and now how she's she's being an example and changing that um and so so bravely and courageously using her story to help others i love it so but even a person listening to this broadcast you know let's say you don't feel like domestic violence has entered your life these mm-hmm. are inspirational stories for mm-hmm. any types of adversity that are going to enter your life correct absolutely absolutely and i would say that you know the numbers that i shared at the beginning of the broadcast even if you are fortunate to not be experiencing domestic violence yourself that it's likely that other family members neighbors or people you will encounter in your life and to be able to be um, to be helpful to them is of great importance and to be someone who's there for them over the long haul of helping them through a process of trying to figure out what's happening in their lives and trying to find um, an, an end to abuse and a way out can be extraordinarily important to be a helping force in someone's life. So true. Let's review those statistics again. You said them so fast mm-hmm. and they are really so shocking it's worth yeah. mentioning them again. Uh-huh. The so one in three. Is that still one in three teenage girls experiences domestic abuse. One in four women in her adult lifetime will experience domestic violence, and one in five college women experience sexual assault, and about one in seven men experience domestic abuse. And these figures that I'm mentioning are really focused on physical violence, but we know that abuse is perpetrated in so many different ways, whether it's through emotional or economic abuse, sexual coercion or violence, reproductive coercion, is an issue that we're talking more and more about now and recognizing what a big impact that makes in people's reproductive choices if... What do you mean reproductive? Yeah. That's, a, that's a new one on me. No, it, and it is really a new one in this field of thinking about someone's inability to negotiate condom use or to insist that their partner use protection I because see. of the, the domestic violence power and control dynamics occurring. Okay. And a lot of times people still don't think that, that within a relationship with in a marriage that you can or or a dating relationship that you can experience sexual abuse um and statistics our our laws came from a place of of saying you couldn't although now that's that's been changed thankfully um and so realizing that that does occur within dating relationships and seeing more and more some of the cyber stalking um that's that's occurring through technology as well as a newer area of concern Holy moly, <laughs> you, yeah. you must go to bed overwhelmed at night. <laughs> um, I love that when we focused on um, our four-part series for domestic mm-hmm. violence and domestic abuse, we um, we broke that down into several segments, and the one that where you contributed was through the law. Mm-hmm. How has that given you some insight as to the problem and, more importantly, to the solutions? Yeah, well, this to me is a really exciting area of the law to work in because it is so rapidly changing and dynamic and responsive. And that's part of what we do in our clinic is try to help the law be more responsive to abuse survivor situations. And so just in the course of my representing clients in terms of about the last 15 years that I've been doing domestic violence representation, our laws have evolved to include protection for teenagers and to include protection for pets because we now realize that 70% of the time that there's domestic violence occurring in terms of of abuse against an individual in the home, that there's also abuse of the pets and that's a way that people are carrying out threats and abuse within the household. 
And so I've seen rapid legal changes, which is exciting to see those legal protections actually there. And I find such great hope within the work that I do because we're working with survivors to help them carry out their goals, to help them achieve safety on many fronts. And so we do a lot of work on domestic with domestic violence restraining orders of getting immediate legal protections, but also of longer term child custody, had some child abduction cases where we've been able to solve these cases in terms of recovering abducted children. Majority of our clients we represent in immigration cases. And so seeing how often the use of immigration status is also used in the abuse. So we're able to really accomplish some great outcomes for our clients. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to use the legal system for those tools to help people live lives free of violence. And so often to see my clients over many years and how clients who before were experiencing high levels of abuse are now returning to school and becoming nurses and are sending me graduation photos of their children and having these beautiful stories to share. Oh, I love it. And I love that that you've gotten to see this over time, how the law is really yeah. supporting you in your efforts. It wasn't always that way, was it? No, it's true. I mean, we come from a history where the law condoned abuse, where as long as you did not maim or kill your wife. It was wife. actually written into the law, yes. wasn't it? Yes, exactly. As long as you didn't maim or kill your wife, you couldn't be prosecuted. And then when our laws did develop in the 1970s, starting at that time, then initially they only addressed wife abuse. And so it was highly gendered and only encompassed those specific marital relationships, where we've now seen many different forms of legal responses in terms of civil and criminal orders, tort remedies. The, the Economic Justice Conference that we're featuring on November 14th is also exploring a lot of tax remedies and different entrepreneurship opportunities and remedies and thinking so much more expansively than just the criminal justice system, which is in and of itself has not solved the problem of domestic violence. And so what do abuse survivors really need to be able to maintain their survivorship over time? Right, right. So it, doesn't it say something, though, of our human nature or an acknowledgement of our human nature that our laws said it was okay to be aggressive with your wife? What, what were we acknowledging with that? I mean, at that point in history, women were seen as property, and they were seen initially as property of their fathers. And then when they became married, they were identified as their husband's property. And so there was a theory of chastisement where a woman was er, a woman her her behavior the husband was responsible for and he under the law was to chastise her um also theories of unity in terms of the woman and man became one and that one was the husband and so we had a lot of an umbrella one not a (laughs) (laughs) a nice joining of forces exactly exactly and highly problematic and so you know, we've seen a lot of developments, positive developments over time in terms of women being able to own property, contract mm-hmm. in their own names. So we're coming from a part of history, and when we f- go back far enough, which I don't like to spend a lot of time in, but where women didn't have any rights. Right. Well, but there's still some acknowledgement in all of that, and mm-hmm. these statistics are certainly bearing it out. If there is as dramatic and shocking as they are, the one in three, one in four, one mm-hmm. in five, that we're still acknowledging that something exists within within um, male aggression that 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 we haven't solved yet. And I, mm-hmm. I, you had some comments um, 
before the show, I wanted you to share those, especially your um, early interventions. Yeah, we want to work so much more on the prevention and early intervention side without needing to intervene through the criminal justice system, which has a lot of collateral consequences and, as I mentioned, has not solved the problem. Sure. And so thinking, what can we do from It doesn't even seem stage? to be a deterrent either. No. To the actual behavior. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so what could we be doing earlier in terms of social norms of, of really fostering gender equality and healthy relationships? And so, so looking at education through elementary, middle school ages of, of just that kind of early education about those healthy relationship norms, gender equality, making actually such a positive difference. And so now many studies showing that those early education efforts are really key. And I've seen this through the juvenile detention center work that I've done, where working with juveniles in detention center who often have experienced high rates of family violence themselves, saying to me, I didn't know I had a right not to be hit. I didn't know I had a right to end a relationship. And how striking that was to me that you know, isn't, shouldn't this just be a norm in our society that, of course, everybody has a right to live in a home free of violence. And so right. that's what we want to express, that we all should be safe in our homes and in our relationships, and that should be the norm. Right, right. And, and communicating that, what, what a healthy home looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you have, the, um, you have the upcoming event on October 19th. And any more you want to say about uh, November 14th, the Economic Justice Conference? Yeah, I mean, we're extremely excited about this event. It's a full-day conference from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., also held at the Student Center at UCI. We have individuals coming from across the country for this conference um, in terms of different featured presentations from the National Network to End Family Violence, from Free Forum, from legal aid offices and state coalitions across the country, presenting some really innovative tools to be able to intervene on behalf of abuse survivors in terms of economic justice remedies that are not widely known. And so seeing this as a great opportunity for, uh, certainly we want attorneys to attend to be able to, to become aware of a broader range. We have MCLE credits offered, uh, I believe it's 6.5 MCLE credits offered for free here. And so wanting attorneys to come to be educated about these remedies, students to be educated about these different possibilities, advocates, broader community members to be aware of some of these different economic justice tools. And so this is, we're very excited to be able to host this program on this, on the importance of economic justice and for people to really leave becoming aware of the different skill sets and tools that are available that are not widely known. Okay, good. And so even still, we have a whole month devoted to domestic violence. Why is this so important that our society does this? Yeah, and so it's still an issue where there's a lot of, blame and silence and shame around and w- I feel like we, we certainly need to keep raising awareness about it so that people can reach out at earlier stages and be helping forces to each other and to really change the conversation and that's been a lot of what we've been focused on um, changing the conversation in terms of understanding why people have wh- what the barriers are to leaving abusive relationships but also what help people need and, um, and, and also what a prevalent issue this is still in our society that we need men and women to be able to be strong voices saying that, you know, it's, it's not right and we want to be able to, to just take a stance against domestic violence 
and also raise awareness about it as a prevalent issue. To what extent do you think this tide shifting of our perception of women as property and, and you know, proper treatment of a woman in the home, to what extent do you think this tide shift has affected um, the behavior of the actual perpetrator? Well, the more that this behavior is condoned, which I think we, we still need to have a strong societal message that this isn't okay, it's not... Um, and so I think the more that that's condoned and the focus is on the abuser's behavior, I think that that's really important. And there's, there's been a lot of research showing that strong messages from judges, the judges need to both hear both sides of the story as they're, as they're taking in the facts, but also sending a strong message from the bench, for example, um, and looking to different leaders within our society to be able to send a strong message that we value and believe in gender equality and equity and um, and that people should be safe in their homes and relationships should be our stance and I really view as a human rights issue in our world. Right. Um, let me just pause really quickly. If you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin, and we are at 88.9 FM in Irvine, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Jane Stover from the UCI Law Department, and she is here um, explaining to us about some important events coming up. We are in October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we're deconstructing a little bit about the history um, of how our society has viewed this issue, and also really where we're going with this issue. One of the things that I think you've shared here today is that people are speaking out more and more. Uh, give us some more examples of that, too, if you could. Yeah, and so we've, we've seen this tremendous response through our Survivor Series that we've been hosting for the past three years at UCI, and it's one of our most well-attended events that we ever host in terms of just people coming out eager to hear from other people's stories and break the silence and to find empowerment through each other. And one of the other survivors that we're featuring is coming up for an event on November 2nd where we're really focused on child sexual abuse, a very difficult topic that we now have, have more and more people shedding light on and speaking out about this issue. And so on November 2nd, we're hosting Sheldon Kennedy, a former NHL hockey player who overcame childhood sexual abuse perpetrated by his high school coach, and he's now an incredible advocate for victims around the world. And we're going to be screening his documentary, Swift Current. This is on November 2nd, starting um, at noon, screening this at Cal IT 2 at UC Irvine. And so we're screening his documentary, Swift Current, and he's actually going to be present leading a discussion following the screening, talking about childhood sexual abuse. We then have three remarkable researchers on campus that we're, that we're hosting here, including two researchers from Canada that we're bringing in to talk about all of their work interfacing law, neuroscience, and epigenetics to support childhood sexual abuse victims in the 21st century. And their work is really focused so much on both the abuse, the, the childhood abuse victims experience, but they've also done a lot of work focused on internet abuse. Oh and what's really horrifying is how the experience of abuse is then perpetrated over time and for many 
decades to come Mm -hmm. as we have more and more issues now um, in the cyber world where victims talk about people approaching them saying you look familiar and they just can never escape that feeling of the victimization and so we have Professor Warren Binford, Dr. Paul Arnold, and Dr. Frank McMaster coming and talking about the therapeutic side in terms of what we can do from a therapeutic perspective of looking, you know, so much of what we want to do in these subjects is look both at prevention and how we can help people heal. And so here focused on the healing of people who have had the horrific traumatic experience as children of experiencing this type of abuse. There's a lot more details about each of you know, each of the presenters' bios and about this event on our website at, end, at endfamilyviolence.uci.edu, and we're already accepting reservations for all three of the events that I've mentioned today. Awesome, awesome! I love it. So, mm-hmm. so much to be done. So much still to do. Right? It's you exactly, exactly. I mean, that's what we find in this field that the that the numbers can seem overwhelming, but that you know, we're, we're really compelled to do the work that we do each day to try to be part of the solution and that we have so much, so much hope and great stories of success along the way that keeps us motivated to keep at it. Awesome. So with that, I want to make sure we talk quickly about your work at the UCI um, Domestic Violence Clinic. Great. Yeah, so here um, I, I direct the UCI Domestic Violence Clinic and second and third year law students enroll in the clinic And then under my supervision, they actually represent abuse survivors in our region in different cases. And we try to provide really holistic representation. And so often the representation will will begin with restraining order cases because of the more immediate safety-related relief and child custody, support, visitation, issues that can be handled really immediately through the restraining order cases. So much including possession of pets and other kinds of property and really trying to help people navigate what's preventing them from escaping abuse and seeing what we can address through court orders there and looking at a more holistic perspective in terms of what community partners can we then partner with too to help clients receive the therapeutic help and housing assistance that they might need and often we'll represent people in custody divorce actions and I mentioned also immigration cases based on gender-based violence or experiences of child abuse and domestic violence, where especially under the Violence Against Women Act that was first enacted in 1994, there have been a lot of legal remedies been made available for immigrant abuse survivors. Okay, interesting. And so would somebody reach you through this 211 as well, or is that a separate number to go directly to? They can reach us through that number and then also through our law clinic's number of 949 Eight two four seven nine one six. Okay, good. Um, that a number again is nine two four oh nine four nine eight two four <laughs> seven nine one six. Or that really important two one one number as a first step for anybody that's navigating the difficult way out, right? Yes, absolutely. And so so often the first step that someone needs is immediate crisis intervention, safe housing therapeutic help, safety planning. They can also access different legal aid offices, Public Law Center, Legal Aid of Orange County through the 211 number as well. 
That's fascinating. I, I'm surprised that's not more widely known. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think that would be a great public service announcement too, just that number alone, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And part of our efforts, we, we're really seeing this as a public health problem. Mm-hmm. And it so sure thinking is. about domestic violence, family violence as a, pub, as a public health problem, and how that early outreach and intervention can make such a difference for families um, and getting that kind of early help. So we use big terms to describe this, but early outreach, early intervention, Mm -hmm. what that means is you call the number and you take the first step, doesn't it? Absolutely, yes. You you enter Mm -hmm. a place where there's all sorts of um, safety nets for you, places for you to go to get help, to get legal remedy, which is super important to somebody who's been victimized um, Mm -hmm. in whatever means, but in this case, domestic violence, you know, trying to feel whole again is what you're trying to do is build that person back up so they can start their life anew, right? Exactly, exactly. And we really take that approach of being very client-centered, survivor-centered, and looking at that own individual and what their goals and needs are. Very good, very good. Well, this has certainly been informative, Professor Jane Stover. Is, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners today? Well, so we would love for community members, students, faculty to become involved with the initiative to end family violence and encourage you to log on to the website. You can also email us from there, register for the events. And there's so many different, um, different pieces of information there in terms of resources from the past events that we've hosted, the research that we're supporting, both graduate student fellowships and our interdisciplinary faculty research and other community resources there too that are highlighted. Right, so many people rooting for you if you find yourself in this situation and you want help out. Absolutely. Right, oh thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming in and uh, sharing all that you're doing. And it's actually really exciting to see your face light up over all of the solutions and the work that you're doing and how positive you feel about the direction we're going in. That gives a lot of people hope. Thank you, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me here. It's really a joy. Thank you.